Good morning. Good morning. All right. Microphone check. Can everyone hear me? Huh? <laughs> All right. How about now? Okay. I'll have to talk a little bit louder. Um, I guess the only bad thing for me is like whenever I hear my voice on the speaker, I think I'm yelling at everybody. So I, I guess I'll stand up here and yell. So. <laughs> so, all right, uh, the book of Ezekiel. So we are in, we're actually going to get into the text um, today. I know we've been going through a lot of uh, background for the book, but uh, the plan is to cover the first three chapters today, Lord willing. So this is the, uh, the timeline we have. This is what we looked at before. Uh, the book is divided up into three different sections. So what I have highlighted here is what we're uh, wanting to study. So we see the, the call and the commission uh, of Ezekiel. Getting into the text. So um, I, I guess before we start, when we, we start going through uh, the text here, it, it won't be possible, I guess, within this class to read all of the text uh, throughout all the lessons. But we'll read as much as we can, as much as time allows. Um, also, whenever we read through this, um, you know, the, the book of Ezekiel, I guess if you look at Romans chapter 15, verse 4, I think it says, the things that were written beforehand were written, or things that were written before were written for our learning, that through the patience and comfort of the scripture we might have hope. Oh, that's much better there. Okay. All right, so whenever we read through the book of Ezekiel uh, or any of the Old Testament passages, the things that we read, uh, should provide some some sort of, of hope, I guess. Um, and if you look at that, the message that God is giving, you know, because of the wickedness, God is still trying to get them to repent and, and to turn and to obey His commandments. So we see that even though they're committing these wicked deeds, God is still focused on or still cares about and is compassionate for His people. And then also for the lesson today, um, Ezekiel is given a commission uh, as we read through this and as we talk about it and study about it, let's consider uh, our own commission that we've been given uh, by God because God calls us to do things as well. Uh, one is just to preach His Word, to tell others about, uh, about what His Word says. So, looking through uh, chapter, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, do we have any readers? Would anyone like to read the first three verses? Thank you very much. <laughs> Appreciate that. There are some difficult words in there. So, yeah. Uh, so, the first three verses, it kind of gives us uh, a timing, a location. It kind of gives us a setting uh, for, for where uh, Ezekiel is. Uh, it mentions the 30th year there. What did we say that the 30th year was from our introduction? Does anybody remember? What is it believed to have been, the 30th year? How old he was, right. 
Exactly. And it also correlates to what year of King Jehoiakim's captivity? The fifth year. So, and we also see that Ezekiel was by the river Kabar. Also, uh, I think if you look at the ESV version, it talks about that this is a canal. Uh, and some of the commentaries I've read is sort of a man-made channel, I guess, that connects, I think, to what it's the Euphrates River. Uh, so, but he, he is here, he's a captive there in the land of the Chaldeans, the land of Babylon. And there are actually some statements there that talk about the significance of the message that Ezekiel is going to receive from God. Uh, the first one, the heavens were opened. What, what do you think about when you, when you see that? The heavens were opened. Glory? Yep. Mm -hmm. Right, exactly, yep. There, there is a, a spiritual realm that we're not allowed to see, but, but God allows Ezekiel to see into this realm, and he's allowed to see God in a special way. And it also says that he sees, or he said, I saw visions of God, which would um, tell us of the, the divine revelation, that, uh, that Ezekiel had, it says, uh, also a claim of inspiration, as well as the word of the Lord came, and it says expressly to Ezekiel. So this is the, the word that God is giving directly to Ezekiel that he is to take to the people. Also, this is a, a claim of inspiration as well. So no personal views, nothing that Ezekiel thinks. It's the word of God that, that's given to him that he is to communicate. And then also, the hand of the Lord was upon him there. What, what do you think about when you see the hand of the Lord was upon him there? What else could you say that this might entail? Well, the hand of the Lord refers to the fact that the Lord is going to be working work. But I think it's also important to point out that it specifies the hand of the Lord was upon him there. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. Good. Anything else? Maybe God's going to give him the strength. Yep. I think so too. Yeah. Uh, the, the hand of the Lord, the power of the Lord was upon him to give him the strength for what he was uh, about to do. Yep. also reference or refer to I mean we see the, the, the power of God here to give him the strength that he needs to do but also on Ezekiel's part what, what is Ezekiel's job in this maybe the idea of submission and submission to, to the hand of the Lord or to uh, the power of God here uh, next so the, the next few verses uh, let me see let me go ahead and change the slide here sorry Okay, so here we get into the, the first vision that we have. So Ezekiel has a vision. Um, 
from God. And within this vision, there are four different, uh, I guess, aspects. It can be divided up into four different things that he sees. And those are listed there. We see the likeness of four living creatures. We see the wills of the living creatures. We see uh, the firmament. And then also we see the likeness of the throne. Uh, if you skip down to the last verse in the chapter, uh, verse 28, there towards the end, it, it tells us exactly what this vision represents or what, what it is. And we see that it is the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. So all of these different aspects of this vision attribute to or are trying to describe uh, the glory of the Lord. So, and it, it's written in what we said was apocalyptic or figurative language. And so everything that's spoken of is describing the glory of the Lord. Okay, so I don't know if we've got time to read all this, but I was wanting to kind of go through and just kind of give you like a, maybe a quick run through of each of the different aspects of the vision. So in verses uh, 1 through or verse 4, we see that there's a, there's a whirlwind coming from the north. It's a cloud with raging fire engulfing itself, brightness all around, radiant color of amber from the midst of the fire. And there's a lot of things, I guess, when I read through this that I think of that comes right to mind. You know, talking about a whirlwind, I think of Job, how the whirlwind came and stood, and God spoke to him from the whirlwind. See, the raging fire reminds me of Maybe Mount Sinai, it reminds me of the pillar of cloud of fire. Um, and then looking in uh, 5 through 9, verses 5 through 9, we see the, the likeness of four living creatures. And as we go through this, look at how many times that the, use, the word is used like or likeness. It's trying to, again, all of these different things are ascribing to the glory of God. Uh, five through nine, we see the likeness of four living creatures. The likeness of a man with four faces, four wings, uh, their legs, they have straight legs with calves' feet, uh, sparkled like varnished bronze, hands of a man under their wings. Their wings touched one another, they went straight forward, and they did not turn. Also, each of the four living creatures had the face of a man, a lion, an ox, and an eagle. Uh, two wings went upward and two, two covered their bodies. Uh, went, let's see, they went where the Spirit wanted them to go and they did not turn. Uh, verses 13 through 14, their appearance was like burning coals of fire. The fire was bright. bright. Lightning went out of the fire and the creatures ran back and forth like a flash of lightning. Um, does anybody know what the living creatures are or were? Ezekiel tells us in chapter 10, what are the, what are the living creatures? I think chapter 10, verse 1, verse 20. What are these living creatures? Cherubim. Cherubim, right. What are, what are cherubim? Okay. That's exactly what I thought. When I first read of them, I thought it was an angel. But... There's no scriptural evidence to point out that these were angels. They're actually uh, spiritual creatures that are always found in close or an intimate relationship with God, uh, in service to God, and also in 
worship to God. Where do we find the cherubim elsewhere in Scripture? The Ark of the Covenant? Revelation. I'm sorry? Revelation. Okay. It, it doesn't say they're cherubim. It does describe them in that way. Genesis. Genesis chapter 3, right? Where cherubim was placed there at the garden to, to prevent, I guess, Adam and Eve from coming in. We talked about the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, also, I think that's chapter Exodus chapter 25 and 26, and also those are the instructions, and then also in chapters 36 and 37, this is where uh, what is it? Uh, Bezalel and Aholiab actually make the covering, make the Ark of the Covenant, so we see them there. Um, I'm sorry? The, the curtains, right? Yep. They're, they're woven into the veil and also some of the curtains there. So we see them in there. Uh, anywhere else? We, all, we always see them in close relation to relationship or an intimate relationship with God as far as service and also... Did we already mention the Right, in the garden. Yep, actually. Yep, yep. And also I think in Psalm chapter... 18 is it Psalm chapter 18 and also in 2nd Samuel chapter 22 it says where God rode on the cherubim or the cherubim and then in 1st Samuel chapter 4 verse 4 it talks about where uh, God would, would be in the midst or dwell there between the cherubim above the ark of the covenant all right good so but but all of these different things we see that the the, the living creatures have each of these four different faces, the man, the lion, an ox, and an eagle, which are representative of, I guess, man, the crowning of creation, who's ruling over the earth, I guess. And then you have the ox, which is uh, an animal that's used uh, in uh, powerful animal, animal for uh, what farming, I guess you could say. And then the lion, <coughs> and then the eagle, the swiftest of, of the birds. What, what's what comes to your mind when you when you see these? Because God is trying to paint an image, and then Ezekiel is trying to describe it to us, um, and He's trying to describe to us something that's undescribable, right? He's, he's trying to describe the, the glory of God. Uh, <coughs> And then we see this is the, the, the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God. What, what is an appearance of God? Do you, do you all know? A theophany, right? Yep. So there's, there's this theophany, and he's trying to describe something that's undescribable. Um, anything else with the, the cherub? Any questions? Uh, going on to the next one, we see uh, in verses 15 through 21, we see the wheels of the living creatures. We see the wheel beside each living creature, uh, like the gleaming of beryl, the wheel within a wheel. The rims were tall and awesome and full of eyes all around. The living creatures went where the wheels went. The spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. Uh, that's mentioned a couple of times. So we see these wheels. They have eyes all around. What? What comes to your mind when you see wheels? Chariot. Sorry? Chariot. Yeah, chariot. Movable, mobile. Yep. And the eyes all around, all seen. 
uh, able to see everything. Uh, again, characteristics that are trying to describe the glory of God. Uh, the firmament, uh, verses 22 through 25, the firmament above the living creatures was like the crystal, of, was like the color of crystal, noise of their wings, like many waters, and a voice from above the firmament. Uh, there was a voice there above the firmament. So, uh, the firmament, I think, uh, creation, where you know, the firmament was created, and there's this separation, and you see, uh, and, and, well, I guess to skip ahead to verses 26 through 28, where it talks about above the firmament was the, was the likeness of the throne. Uh, so we see God above the firmament, or the likeness of the throne, way above, uh, I think, signifying uh, God's position and control over and king of all the earth, all of these things uh, under. Let's see, 26 through 28, above the firmament, the likeness of the throne, and appearance as a sapphire stone, the appearance of a man, the color of amber with fire all around, like the appearance of a rainbow. Uh, on a rainy day. And again in verse 28, it says, this was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And what is uh, Ezekiel's uh, reaction uh, when he sees these things? Falls on his face. Yep. It says, uh, Ezekiel fell on his face when he saw it. He fell uh, on his face and heard the voice of the one speaking to him. So, just, what, any thoughts there on that? I'm sorry? Right. Yep. God is holy. Anything else? It's hard to realize that when I was over in chapter 10, I was talking about the cherubim. Says, Moreover, the sound of the wings of the cherubim was heard as far as the outer court, like the voice of God Almighty when he speaks. Right. So it's hard for us to imagine the yeah. all yeah, yeah. of, of the creatures and the situation. Right. Yeah, it's touching on the senses of, of sight and then also of sound. Yeah, and also in chapter one it talks about not only is is it uh, the voice of, what did I say here, the voice of many waters maybe? But it also talks about the voice of a tumult, the voice of an army, uh, the voice of God Almighty. Yeah. Good? Hey, Stephen, I think yep. it's good. You have to consider who it is that you're reading this. Um, you know, Psalm 137, it talks about when they were by the river uh, Chibar, and they searched this same town of captivity, mm -hmm. and they were dejected, they were powerless, they had been set down by other people, and so they felt complete power. And for Ezekiel to begin his prophecy by demonstrating just how great, I mean, this is this is one of the most superb pictures of the power and the greatness of God in the entire Bible. And for, for them to, to see that this is the God that Ezekiel was talking about, had been such a contrast on the stuff about themselves. Yeah, and their situation, right? Because they're there in captivity and, and things, you know. But I love that. I mean, it just, you know, because, you know, the question that they ask, where is God, you know, uh, in these times? Well, he was there with them. He was there. Uh, and, and it's the situation they were in was not because of, you know, just, just 
military blunders or things of that nature, they were there because of what they did, their own sin. Right. Okay. Anything else? You know, and I think it's a lesson for us also whenever we, we contemplate and we think and we uh, know just, just the glory of God and His magnificence, we should react in a similar way. You know, we, we should fall prostrate before Him. We should have that healthy, healthy fear uh, as well. Okay. Chapter 2. All right, chapter 2. So, do we have a reader? Would anyone like to read uh, verses 1 through 7? And he said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet, and I will speak to you. Then the Spirit entered me, and he spoke to me, and he set me on my feet. And I heard him, and he spoke to me. And he said to me, Son of man, I am sending you to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me this very day, for they are impudent and stubborn children. I am sending you to them, and I say to them, Thus says the Lord God, As for them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are a rebellious house, yet they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words, though the briars and thorns are with you, and you dwell on the scorpions. Do not be afraid of their words, or dismayed by their looks, though they are a rebellious house. You shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are rebellious. Good. Thanks, Andy. Uh, any word in particular stand out to you? <laughs> They're rebellious, right? Rebellious against God's commands. And Ezekiel, uh, at first, he's told to stand on his feet. God has to strengthen him in order to do that. The Spirit entered him, set him on his feet. And then he says there in verse 3, he said, I am sending you to the children of Israel. Uh, and then, you know, the descriptive terms, they're rebellious, they transgressed against God, they're stubborn, they're impudent, and he's sending them to them. And whenever he sends them to them, what, what, what is he supposed to do? Right, yeah. He says, thus says the Lord, whether they hear, whether they refuse. So... Ezekiel's part commission is to do what? Is to speak to them, right. Yeah, is to speak to them God's word. Um, and the reason for that, uh, whether they hear, whether they refuse, it's his job to speak, yet they will know that a prophet has been among them. And sure enough, in chapter 33, uh, whenever Jerusalem is destroyed, there's a messenger that comes and speaks these words they know. That, that a prophet has been among them. Um, not to be afraid, what you said. Is Ezekiel's uh, mission or commission easy? He's going to have a, a good, easy time. The message that he's going to bring to them, you know, looking at their condition in captivity, and then he's going to be bringing this message of, of more uh, bad news. You know, it can definitely get worse from here. Um, also, it says that among them, let's see, you dwell among scorpions. Did, did he actually live with scorpions? What's, what's he referencing there? There's going to be some opposition to what, he's, to what he's saying there. It's not going to be a fun time. It's not going to be an easy time, the words that he's going to give to them. Nevertheless, uh, he is supposed to, uh, to speak to them.
the next, any questions there? Thoughts? No? Verses 8 all the way through chapter 3, verse 3. Does anyone want to read? Now, you son of man, listen to what I am speaking to you. Do not take rebellious. Like that rebellious house, open your mouth and eat what I am giving you. Then I looked, behold, the hand was extending to me a blow, a rose in it. When he spread it out before me, it was written on the front of it, and written on it were lamentations and mourning. Then he said to me, Son of man, eat what you find. Eat the scroll, and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he sent me this. He said to me, Son of man, eat your stomach, and fill your body with this scroll. And I ate it, Okay, good. So Ezekiel is told to, at first, not be rebellious, like that rebellious house, uh, and then he is told to uh, eat the scroll. Um, how is the scroll described? It's, yep, sweet as honey to the taste. Um, you know, that, that reminds, does, it, does that remind you of anywhere else in Scripture? Revelation chapter 10, uh, we're told to consume, uh, I guess, there the book. Here it's consumed, the scroll. Um, the, the imagery here is, is taking in God's Word, to, to take it in, to consume it, to make it a part of, of who He is so that He can, I guess, get it within Himself that it becomes a part of Him. Then He can go out and uh, then speak it to the to the people. Yep. I like how the scroll is mentioned as being it has writing on the inside and the outside, on mm -hmm. both sides of the scroll. It's, it's completely full. God didn't waste any space. Right. And and where writing on the scroll, where is it usually written? Where's the only place that it's written? Just on the inside. Just on one side of it, right? Yep. But it's written on both sides. Which I think, you know, is symbolic of like you know, there's, there's a lot of sins, there's a lot of things that, that they're doing there that they're committing. Um, and, and what is written upon it? <coughs> Lamentations and mourning and woe. Okay, so, um, and, and this is the message that Ezekiel will have to take uh, to them and in the condition that they're already in as well. Um, other thoughts? I think it's very symbolic of how we're supposed to digest God's Word, mm -hmm. put it inside of us, it is nourishing it, you know, to our soul, and, and that's just part of that. Inside, outside, we've got to feed upon His Word. Mm -hmm. <coughs> yep. Exactly. I know this is not a very smart question, but this grow. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, going out through the rest of the chapter, or I guess the, through the book, if you look in chapters 4 through 24, it gives us uh, some idea of what's on there, I think. Uh, I know there's some lamentations for 
uh, the king in one of the chapters, um, you know, a lot of parables uh, and, I guess, uh, teachings that, that allude to, you know, the evils they've committed and what's going to happen. You know, it, it, and, and I like the comment about we, sh, you know, we we should consume the word of God. So, you know, the message that we should take to others, we have to consume that. We have to make it part of our life. We have to live that out. We have to believe in it, know it, and study it before we can go out uh, on our commission to tell others exactly what God's word is uh, and what He expects of them. Okay, and. You know, and I, I don't know how Ezekiel was living it. You know, God at first says, do not be rebellious like that rebellious house. So, you know, he was living among the children of Israel. So I, I don't know if Ezekiel may have had that same mindset until he experienced the Lord God and knew exactly who was, who was in control, you know, in this situation. Because, you know, their, their condition was, was bleak, I guess. There's another message of, of woe coming, but ultimately God's in control. All right. Uh, looking through some of the other, let's see. I think we've got what time? What time or is class over? Is it two or twenty after? Okay. All right. So we've got the first bell is at twenty after. Okay. All right. So let let's go through some of these others. Uh, Pretty quickly, because I'd like to get to uh, the end of chapter three. Um, looking at verses, chapter three, verses four uh, through, I believe it is four through eleven. There, uh, we see that Ezekiel is to speak the words to the people, and in verse, let's see, verse five, he says, "You're not sent to a people of unfamiliar speech or of hard language, but to the house of Israel." So it's not like he has to uh, speak in a different language or there's not any way that they can't understand. So uh, it should be something that they would understand, but uh, the sad part of it is whenever they heard that in verse 7, it says, but the house of Israel will not listen to you. So even though Ezekiel has taken this message from God uh, to give to them, uh, even though they hear it, uh, they will not listen um, because the reason is because they would not listen to God Himself. Again, it says they're impudent, they're hard-hearted. Uh, but in verse eight, we see that uh, God has made Ezekiel's uh, forehead, I guess, strong against them, so that He will be able to deliver the message that He has. In verse nine, it says, they're, they're art He says, like Artemis stone, harder than flint. I have made your forehead. So sometimes being hard-headed is good, right? Okay. <laughs> All right, so it's a biblical concept, right? Being hard-headed. Okay, but he tells them not to be afraid. Don't be dismayed at their looks because they're a rebellious house. And, you know, them not listening, them not listening to God. That's uh, You know, if you go back to the book of Deuteronomy, I think in, especially in chapter 31, it talks about there's a prediction that God makes uh, to, to Moses that the children of Israel will do this, that they will worship other gods, and that they won't listen, and that he will give them up uh, to other people. Verses, let's see, did I get all of that? Verse 12, the Spirit lifted me up. Um, 
And I heard behind me a thunderous voice, a little bit more of that vision that he saw in chapter 1. Uh, it says, Blessed is the glory of the Lord from His place. He said, I heard the noise of the living uh, the wings. Uh, the Spirit lifted him up and took him in the Spirit. I guess he said, I came to the captives of Tel Aviv there in verse 15 uh, by the river Kabar. He says that he, he sat there. He said, where they sat and remained astonished among them for seven days. Uh, seven days he sat, he, he only sat and was astonished. Maybe at the vision that he saw, maybe at the task that was given to him, you know, maybe the difficulty of that. Um, verses 16. Get that switch. Okay, verse 16. So here is the uh, Ezekiel was sent as a watchman. So looking at this, dividing this up. The watchman was supposed to do what for the people? He was supposed to warn them. Um, so if the enemy is approaching, he's supposed to blow a trumpet, he's supposed to notify to let them know that, that danger is coming, warn them so that they can prepare for battle. The only thing is, is whenever he, I guess you could say, the, the trumpet or whatever, you know, the warning that he gives them of the impending doom that's coming, they, they don't listen to it. All right, and then here we see that he's, Ezekiel's made a, a watchman for the house of Israel. He is to hear a word from the Lord and give them warning. So we see two different sections here. It says there's the warning for the wicked, for the wicked that says you shall surely die. Two different instances there for the wicked. If there's a warning not given, that wicked person shall die. But the prophet Ezekiel will be held accountable for that because he didn't warn them. If there's a warning given then the wicked and the wicked does not repent, he shall die in his sin, but the prophet is not held accountable. Also, the warning for the righteous is, is to not sin. Here we see the warning is not given. If the person, the righteous person, commits iniquity and dies in it, the prophet is held accountable. Uh, if the warning is given, and the person, uh, and the person does not sin and lives, it says the prophet is not held accountable. So there are a few instances here where it's important for Ezekiel uh, to tell the people God's message because if he doesn't warn them, he's going to be held accountable for it. Uh, when you look at that, you know, we've been given a commission as well. And, you know, we're told to warn those that, I mean, I guess you could say we're, we're to warn the wicked, we're to warn righteous work to warn everyone to communicate what God's message is but there are consequences if we have that message yet we don't go to them and tell them what God has said and like Ezekiel we are to speak the word and 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 that's our job right to communicate what God's message is and then it's on their part to accept it to believe it to obey it uh, can you think of any other places in scripture where it talks about maybe accountability that we have as Christians? Do you remember in Acts chapter 20, Paul is, is selling from Troas, he comes to Miletus, he calls for the Ephesian elders and they come and there towards I guess the end of the chapter Paul tells them, he says, I have not shown to declare unto you the entire or the whole counsel of God. Therefore, I am innocent of the blood of all men. So Paul had a message that he was supposed to give to the people, and he didn't do that. 
he was to be held accountable for it. He would then be responsible for that blood if that person died in their sin and him not mourning them. So we as Christians have that same responsibility. So we have a message that we're supposed to tell to others, yet if we have it, we know it, and we don't uh, speak it, God will hold us accountable for it. Thoughts? Questions? Stephen? Yep. I think it goes back to the scroll in our lives today. People should be able to see God in us. Mm -hmm. If they can't, then God will step back. Good. Anything else? You know, I pray for vision, vision to see opportunity, and I pray for courage to take advantage of it. You know, because we're supposed, like him, being that pro, we're supposed to put the word of God in us so mm -hmm. that at the proper time we can share it. But if we're empty, we're done with malnutrition, you know, yep. as a Christian. And so we got to fill the day. Yep. Yep. Good. Anything else? I, I guess the last thing that, that I was going to tell you, so the end of the chapter there, and the, the last uh, part, there's another vision that Ezekiel has out in the plain, and then God is actually, will restrain him from speaking. So, unless God opens his mouth. So, from here all the way up through chapter 33 for seven and a half years, the only thing that Ezekiel can speak is only the message that God gives him. God will open his mouth at that time. And the other times, he's, he's mute, not able to speak. So, good. All right, are there more questions or anything? Thank you very much.